I need, a, I need a quick volunteer this morning. I know every time I say that, nobody raises their hands, and I usually pick on somebody. Monty's usually the guy I pick on, so I'm going to go there again. Monty, just stand, just stand up, Monty. That's all you have to do. Just stand up. This is Monty. Um, Monty, where do, you, where do you work at? Meadowlark. You don't live there yet, um, but Monty works at Meadowlark Hills. You do some activities. Your director with, yeah, but, there you go. Um, so this is Monty, works at Meadowlark Hills. That's it. Thank you. All right. How, how do you know that that's Monty and that he works at Meadowlark Hills? Anybody? I just told you, right? And I introduced him and he told us. And you have no reason to not trust Monty and I yet. Um, together we might get in trouble someday. But um, th- because we just, he tells us and we just say, okay. We believe him. He probably has some neighbors that see him leave every morning that could say, I don't know where he goes. There's a witness. I don't know where he goes, but I see him leave, and then he comes back in the evenings, so I'm assuming he goes to work. His wife um, might testify that he works there. Um, the co-workers would say, yes, we know, Monty, he works here. This is where he works, right? Maybe some pay stubs would verify who he is and where he works. Um, business cards? Do we, does people, do we have business cards anymore? Maybe some of you do. Um, there's ways for us to verify, to be certain, this is Monty and he works at Meadowlark Hills. Uh, if you don't know, my name's Devin. Um, some of you I haven't met yet. Most of you I have. My name's Devin. Um, how do you know? Because I just told you, right? And you don't have any reason to not trust me yet. Um, so there's my picture was up on the screen with my name under it just a little bit ago. Steve said that. Um, there's witnesses. My wife goes to church here. Um, thank goodness. Um, my sister actually goes to church here. I think it's a good thing when your own sister, the pastor of a church, his own sister, who could ruin me, probably goes to the same church. There's, there's a lot of history there. Um, I answer to it. When somebody says my name, I say, yes, I answer to it, right? I have a social security card, a birth certificate, a driver's license. It's written on my underwear. There's all kinds. I'm Joe. Not since junior high camp, all right? We haven't done that in a long time. So, but what if I were to say that my name was Jesus? And not just my name, like Jesus, like a current name, Jesus, but Jesus Christ. If I said my, I am Jesus Christ, the Messiah, you probably wouldn't believe me. There's no evidence, right? Many people have made this claim in the past. There's a lot of people that have made the claim, but... Um, Many people didn't live up to what went with the name. Only one person ever did. And we, we have evidence of that. It's really cool. Um, when I think back to the trial, when Jesus was on trial here, was standing in front of the Sanhedrin, the court, the highest court in the land, they were getting ready to convict him to crucifixion, to die. They were all using the same evidence. This was the crazy part to me. The Sanhedrin and Jesus were working off of the same evidence. They came to the same conclusion. Jesus is the Messiah. They even put it on a sign above him. The difference was faith, their belief in really what that meant and who that was. So our goal here at Crestview, one of our goals is to help you. Um, This is what we do. We want to help you develop your faith 
So no matter where you're at in your faith, if you're new at this, if you've been on this journey for a while, if you've made some good strides and you've fallen back, wherever it is, we don't care where you're at on your journey. We just want to help you get to the next level. How do we help you grow and develop that faith? Um, Last two weeks, we've talked about resources. And I've given you a bunch of resources and ways to help you grow in that. We still have some books in the lobby. Core 52 um, is, is an idea of what we jumped on to help you study over a year's time. But on Sunday mornings, right now, we're in the middle of a series called Core, and we're looking at the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament. And we're saying this is the core of understanding the rest of Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the good news, they tell one story of a man named Jesus. One story where these guys come together, and it's, it's about Jesus. It's about his birth, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, his announcement. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, without contradictions, they tell four complementary stories of the most unique person in human history. And we get to learn about Jesus from them. Matthew gives us this theme. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The theme of Matthew was that he is the king of the Jews. Matthew was a Jew who became a tax collector, so they kind of called him a traitor. But he wrote to other Jews saying, Jesus is the king of the Jews. This was a great message. And then at the end, we call it the Great Commission. It was our commission of what we're to do with this good news that Matthew just told us, which was to go and tell people, baptize them like we saw this morning, teach them, help them grow. Mark, when we get to Mark, we see the story of Mark this way, that Mark was writing to Christians in Rome. So they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. They were people that didn't grow up with this faith, but now they're convinced. He's trying to convince them of who this Jesus is. And the theme behind this is like a paradox. It's what sounds strange up front ends up being the right thing. So Mark tells stories like a victorious servant. That doesn't make sense. He says, in order to be first, you have to be a servant. Um, A suffering king. That would be a theme through Mark. Kings don't suffer. Who is this Messiah guy? And why does he say he has to die? But yet his death brought victory for us. So now we get to the book of Luke. Luke is where we're at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. Your phones, get your phones open to Luke. I've given each week some details or some little tidbits about these guys. And it helps us understand what they're writing. So let's go to Luke um, a little bit this morning. The person. Luke, he was a physician. His trade, by trade, he was a doctor. So people would come to Luke when they were sick, and he would help heal them physically. Not not necessarily spiritually. He was the guy that they would come to with physical ailments, and he would help them. Um, He was not one of the 12 disciples. He was a follower of Jesus, but not one of the original 12. He remained as a doctor throughout his time. He was not Jewish. So he was writing um, from an outside perspective on who this Jewish king was, and he was also writing to a non-Jew. So we can get that perspective of what's going on when we read through it. Now, the book of Luke itself, it's the longest and most comprehensive of all four Gospels. Luke goes into details where the other guys did not. And Luke is a two-part series Part one is Luke, and he writes about Jesus. Part two is the book of Acts. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts is also written by Luke, and it's really part two of the gospel, Luke. 
it tells the story of the beginning of the church. We're going to get back to that um, here in a little bit. But if you put these two books together, Luke and Acts, we get 28% of the New Testament. It's the largest section if you put these two books together. So we see in this that Luke actually writes more of the New Testament than anyone else. Um, Luke writes more than John. Luke writes more than Paul. And we get a bigger section from this guy named Luke than anyone else. Um, It's the most refined Greek in the New Testament. If you were to start studying Greek and New Testament Greek to understand um, the Bible better, the book of Luke would be the book you'd want to stay away from. It's the hardest one to learn when you're studying and learning that because it is very comprehensive. He's got a large vocabulary because of his background. His handwriting is hard to read because he's a doctor, but other than that, um, I really don't know. Um, other than that, it, it's, very, it's very deep for him, and he goes into more details. He's got four hymns um, throughout, so this is where he does his research and study. There's the song of Mary after she finds out she's pregnant with Jesus. She, she sings a song. There's a song of Zacharias, that's the father of John the Baptist, and he sings a song. The angels, when they're declaring that Jesus is born to the shepherds, and then there's a song of Simeon, a prophet, that um, is sung, and he writes out all of these songs, and he tells stories. And his topic throughout the book, other than Jesus being the main character, his topic is people. You can read through Luke and see his heart, his heart for people, just people in general, but even those that don't usually get attention. There's more stories in the book of Luke about women and children than any other book. Um, He talks about the poor. He has a heart and an interest for the poor. Luke describes people. He cares for people, Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, poor and rich. It doesn't matter. Luke is writing about these people. Um, He's known for his historical reliability. Other authors during that time period, historians have put Luke to the test. They have looked at his writings and there's no holes in it. He is very accurate in what he's writing. And he gives us more details about John the Baptist than anybody else. And it's through Luke that we learn about um, more details about Jesus and his birth and his childhood. He's the guy that gives us the little bit of information we do have about his childhood comes from Luke. Luke is even quoted by Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. This is how big of a deal Luke is, right? You remember that? You know that scene? One of the best scenes in all the movies um, is when Linus quotes scripture, and it comes from the book of Luke. Um, Luke, when he starts to describe Jesus, he goes into detail to describe the perfect man. Um, I've read some commentary on this and the idea that there is a perfect man out there. And when Luke describes Jesus, he's describing the perfect man. And some of your ladies are like, okay, other than Jesus, right? Is there such a thing as a perfect man? There is. There's a perfect man out there. He is the man that every woman needs. He's cute. He's sweet. He's handy in the kitchen. And best of all, he's rolling in dough. Do you know who he is? (laughs) 
He's the Pillsbury Doughboy, the perfect man, right? He's right there. All right, each week, um, I've enjoyed this. I love these videos. We have gone back to this website called The Bible Project. And you have to spell it out, thebibleproject.com. If you go there, there's great videos, resources for you. I think every book in the New Testament, they've got a video on to help explain it. They've got many in the Old Testament, a lot of theories and ideas coming from there. So we've looked at an introduction to each book, and I want to do that again this week. So let's watch the introduction. To Luke. According to Luke, it's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and it's actually part one of a unified two-volume work, Luke Acts. If you compare the opening lines of both of these books, it's clear that they come from the same author, and there are internal clues in the book of Acts, as well as an early tradition that identifies the author as Luke, the traveling companion and co-worker of Paul the Apostle, who we know was also a doctor. Luke opens his work with a preface telling us how and why he wrote this book. He acknowledges that there's many other fine accounts of Jesus' life out there, but he wanted to go back to the eyewitness traditions of as many early disciples as he could in order to produce what he calls an orderly account about the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now that word fulfilled shows us why Luke wrote this account. For him, the story of Jesus isn't just ancient history. He wants to show how it's the fulfillment of the long covenant story of God and Israel, and bigger than that, of the story of God and the whole world. The book's design is fairly clear. There's a long introduction that sets up the stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. Then in chapters 3 to 9, Luke presents a robust portrait of Jesus and his mission in his home region of Galilee. After that, the large midsection of the book is Jesus' long journey to Jerusalem, which leads to the story's climax, Jesus' final week in Jerusalem leading up to his death and resurrection, which then leads on into the book of Acts. All right, so that's just an introduction. I'd encourage you to go watch the rest of that so you can get the bigger picture of it. But this morning, um, we're not going to get to the whole book. Like I said, it's the biggest, it's the longest one, most detail. Um, You keep coming back um, Sunday after Sunday, though, and we are for sure throughout a year going to land in the book of Luke um, often because of his details and what he gives. We get a lot out of that. But there's something about Luke that I want to land on today for us that I think is really key from the beginning to the end that helps us in what we're doing and who we are as Christ followers. And it starts in chapter 1, verse 3. There's something special about this, and you can't read past it too fast. you got to stop and let it sit on you for a little bit, and it's this. Luke writes this letter to one person. One guy. I would think that if I were a physician and had all this information and this detail that I would want my writings to get out to the whole world, right, for years and years to come, but he doesn't do it. He writes it to a guy named Theophilus, one guy. Now, I see it as that he cares a lot about people because he has a friend that he wants to help grow. He wants his friend to develop in his faith. Now, either Theophilus is not a believer and he's trying to teach him about Jesus so it can become a believer, or he is a believer and he's trying to give him more confidence in his faith that he already has. Either way, Luke takes great care in writing to his friend. Just one. And what God can do with that is amazing. So we go to um, chapter 1, verse 3, and it says, um, he says it this way. He wants to write an orderly account 
I want to be specific about it. I want to make sure that everything lines up in history so that there's confidence in this. And then he says it to Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Certainty. That you know for sure that what you've been taught and what has been said about Jesus is true. You see, we don't have a blind faith. Our faith is not, well, I hope this whole Jesus thing is true. I'm going I'm to step out there and trust it with my life and my eternity. I hope it's true. No, we don't have a blind faith. We go back to a writing like Luke, and we see in this first chapter, in the first few verses, that he is saying there's confidence in this. With certainty, you have to know that this is true. Because I like to believe in facts. I want to put my faith and trust in facts, historical facts, things that have happened in the past that we know for certain are true, things in the present that we can say, right now, I know that you are at Crestview Church in Manhattan, Kansas, because I can see you. There's certainty that I know that you are here right now. We struggle when we get into this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, eternity. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow, or forever. But I try and make decisions on what's going to happen this afternoon based on what's happened in the past, or my knowledge of the past. I know that if I don't get gas in my truck before this evening's over, I'm not going to make it to work in the morning. I know that that's where, and I've got confidence to know that if I don't do this in the future because of things that have happened in the past, and my knowledge of things that happened in the past, what could happen in the future if I don't change my life and do something about it, right? We make decisions in our future based on historical facts. Move ahead. Kierkegaard, he was a theologian. He said it this way. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We have to live our lives making decisions about our future by facts that we have put together that we're certain about from our past and history. Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews, in the first verse he says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. That's what I want to be commended for as well. That I put my confidence, my hope, my faith in something that's in the future that I can't tell for sure. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but I'm putting my faith and confidence certainty because I understand the facts that have been put together. And Luke is writing a book saying, I want to make sure, certainty, that you trust what has been said about this Jesus guy so that you have hope in him in the future. All right, we're going to jump to the end pretty quickly, all right? And you're like, wow, that was a quick read through the book of Luke, right? I want to jump to the end because I think it ties into this, and the whole book then um, is wrapped up in this. Let's go back to the video and watch the end of this video to see how this book wraps up. Watch this. Luke is telling this story to make a powerful point about following Jesus. When Jesus' disciples impose their agenda and their view of reality on Jesus, he remains invisible and unknown to them. It's only when we submit ourselves to the upside-down kingdom of Jesus that's epitomized in his broken body on the cross, offered in self-giving love. It's only then that we see and know the real Jesus. 
The book's concluding scene is yet another meal. As Jesus appears to his disciples and he explains to them from the Old Testament scriptures how this was all a part of God's plan, that the Messiah would become Israel's king by suffering and dying for their sins and conquering their evil with his resurrection life. And so now, as Simeon the prophet promised back in chapter 2, Jesus' kingdom will move outward from Israel. So God's forgiveness can be announced to the nations and everyone invited to follow Jesus. But, Jesus tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Spirit to empower them for this new mission. And this, of course, keeps you reading right into Luke's second volume, the book of Acts. But for now, that's the gospel according to Luke. Okay, so here's part of the deal, and I said it right there at the beginning of this second part. When we are self-focused, when we focus in on ourselves and what we want to do, oftentimes we're blinded to Jesus, and he's tough to see. But when we look to him and what he wants to do in our lives, he opens up our eyes. We get like, whoa, there, there he is. And we choose then to follow. And I love how this plays out. After Jesus was crucified... Um, and spent three days in the grave. He comes back from the dead, and now he's gathered again with his disciples. Um, he, he joins a couple guys on a road, and he's walking with them, and they don't know it's him, and then he reveals himself to them, and they get so excited, they run back, they tell the disciples, and here they are together, and Jesus looks at them and says, I'm, I want to give you peace. This is chapter 24, starting verse 36. Um, I want to give you peace. Why are you guys so scared and troubled? What's going on? And they said, well, you're a ghost. We're scared you're standing in front of us. And Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. Look, look at my hands, look at my feet. He shows them the wounds from his crucifixion just a few days before that. I am real. He says, give me some food. Give me a piece of fish. He takes fish and he eats it in front of them to show them so that they have certainty that this story is true. And Luke writes this out for us to make sure that we can see that Jesus did these things in front of his disciples so that our faith is for certain that he came back from the dead. And then he says to this, he says this to them in verse 48, Luke 24, verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things. You guys have to be the witnesses for me to go and tell others. And then he goes to heaven to prepare a place for us so that when we die, we can go and be there with him. And he says, now Go and tell others, but wait for the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has now been brought to us. Jesus actually told them um, that it's better for the Spirit to come than for him to stay. The Spirit now lives in us and gives us that encouragement we need to share this good news with other people. They go back and they worship. They spend time in the temple worshiping, but they don't stay there. This is how Luke ends. They're worshiping in the temple. They gather together. That's why we gather together and sing. We get inspired. We're encouraged with each other. But it doesn't end there because the book of Acts is part two. And he steps into the book of Acts. The book of Luke is all about certainty of the things that you have been taught about Jesus. The book of Acts then is our mission. What do we do? The book of Acts is their action, telling others. If you are certain, then what do you do with the information you're certain about? Let, let, me, let me unpack it like this. Let's, let's say that you are, beyond a shadow of a doubt, like you are certain 
Um, that let's okay. You've been to the future. You've been six months into the future, and now you're back today. And when you were in their future, you found out that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl this year. All right, pretty confident in it. You you're 110 percent sure because you've been there. You don't have just inside information like maybe this is a good chance. You are confident beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know for sure that the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl this year or are going to. What do you do with that information? Okay, hold on to the, your thoughts of what you're going to do with that in a second. I got to sidetrack. I, I got to um, preach an announcement for you. Coming up in October, October 13th, we are doing our annual chili cook-off here at Crestview. It's one of our favorite events. Every year we love this event, um, and it's always been just a time of fellowship to hang out and eat some chili. We're changing it this year, and we're calling it um, Chiefs and Chili. We bumped it up, and on October 13th, the Sunday, we're going to have the chili cook-off at noon because that's when kickoff is for the Chiefs game that day. And so as soon as our third service is over, we're going to have TV spread out all over our campus, the big ones, small ones, little ones, some out in the parking lot like a tailgate, some out as you're getting chili. We're going to have bounce houses for the kids so that they can play and you can watch football and eat chili. Um, we're going to do this together so that we can do a couple things. One, fellowship. One, we can hang out together. We can watch some Chiefs together, um, watch some football. And two, we need a thing and a place where you can invite your friends. We need you to be able to say, hey, this is a safe place. Come to church with me that morning. Stay and eat some chili, watch some football, hang out together. There's going to be plenty. So we need you to do this. Mark it down on your calendars, October 13th. Bring a pot of chili and bring some friends. That's how you're going to get in the door, all right? Chili and friends. Um, bring them with you, and we're going to do this together. So this is a cool deal. This is fun, a new change to our chili cook-off this year. But what would you do if you knew for sure the Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl? Anybody? You'd bet on it, wouldn't you? You would bet the farm on it. And it wouldn't be gambling, would it? Because you know for sure. So gambling's out. We're not judging Steve at all about this. Um, no judgment on betting. Just the 10%. Help us build a new building. That's right. We're in this building campaign. Another, another announcement here. In a building, in a, you would bet on it, wouldn't you? I believe you would. You would do probably a couple other things. You'd probably buy some Chiefs gear. You would start wearing it. You would, start, you would want people to know that you're on the winning team because you would, you would want others to know that you have this. You would probably tell somebody else. You would tell a family member. You would tell some friends. Guys, I, I have some information that you need to know. You're going to get rich if you do this. So bet on them. You would tell somebody. You would want them to have the same certainty that you have and enjoy the experience and reap the benefits of knowing that. So now we've got something else to decide on. You have some certainty Luke has written a book for us about this man named Jesus, and he is certain that he is the Son of God and that what he says is true. And he says, put your faith in him and you can have eternal life with him. What do you do with that information? You bet the farm on it or do you hold it in for yourself? You're like, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody. So here's what I want you to do. Um, somewhere in the chair pocket in front of you, there is a little white card. Right, on this little white card in front of you. Um, we've done this before at Crestview. 
a few years ago. I brought it up a couple times. But I want you to take this little white card, and the goal in this is to write down the name, one or two names of somebody that you're going to share this information with that doesn't know about Jesus, that needs to come to this, that needs to have an understanding of who he is. Who is it that you would want to go and tell? Who's your one? Like Luke wrote to Theophilus, who would you write to if you were going to write the story of Jesus, your story about him? Who would you write to? Because they need to know. I've got to tell you, a couple years ago when we did this, I wrote down two names. The second name on this list, um, a few weeks after that, had an interaction with him, and I'd been praying for him, and it was really cool. We just kind of struck it up. It was good. It was nice and easy, and we moved on. But then it came up again and again, and I started telling him about church and telling him about Jesus, and it was probably a year after that I baptized him right here. My one, the guy I wrote down on this, I got to baptize it works. And you can do it as well. So I want you to take one of these cards and I want you to write down one or two names of somebody that you're going to um, tell this to. Who is it that needs to know in your life? And Don't be like, I've got like 30 people. Don't fill the card out. Jesus only had 12, all right? So he only stuck with 12. You're not Jesus, so one or two is probably a good limit for you. And then I want you to keep this with you. I keep it in my wallet. Keep it by your bed, keep it at your, in your nightstand, um, keep it in your bathroom, maybe in your car, at your desk. And mine's folded up so you can't see who it is. But every time I open my wallet, I know that name is on that card. And I say a prayer for them. So, okay, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go and confront their sins. This isn't um, an intervention. This isn't for you to say, I'm going to fix you. Um, and I wrote your name down. And this isn't for that. Don't badger them into coming to church. Invite them, yes, but don't badger them on it. Don't try and manipulate them. Yes, we have this Chiefs and Chili thing, but be honest. Come to church and come to this Chiefs and Chili thing with me. This is a great invitation for you. We've set this up, designed it so you can do this. But this is what I do want you to do. I want you to bless them. And you, maybe you need to write this down the card. Um, begin with prayer. Just pray for them. Just start every time you see that card, just pray for them. That's it. Just say some prayers for them. Pray for God to open some doors for you to connect with them. That's it. Just pray. And it may take months of prayer before anything else happens. Just start praying for them. Listen to them. That's the L in bless. Listen. When they start sharing their, their issues in life with you, just listen. Don't fix them. Don't give them advice. Just listen. Just let them speak. They might figure it out, and then you're going to be better off for it. Eat with them. Uh, my guy that, that I wrote down my card, I didn't. It wasn't a thing where we went out to dinner or anything like that. We didn't have them over, but it was something happened. Um, eating with someone is a good thing. So do invite them over, go to lunch, go to coffee, whatever it takes to just have that interaction with them. Um, serve them. Once you've listened to them, you know how to serve them. Just do it. Just step in and serve them. And then lastly, share with them. Share with them. Don't share with them up front. Wait until you've built something with them and then share with them. Share your story. They can't argue your story. Don't share with them theology or um, politics and don't dive deep into scripture. Just share with them your story about Jesus. That's what Luke did with Theophilus, his one. Who is it that you know needs to know about Jesus and teach them? 
If you would, let's stand together and let's prepare a time in our hearts to remember what Jesus did for us. Let's stand and sing.